everyone. My name is Michelle, and welcome to Romcom Weekly. Today, I'm joined by my friend John, and we're talking about the movie Trainwreck. How's it going, John? Pretty good. How are you? I'm good. Thanks so much for doing this and being such a good sport. Of course, I'm, I'm honored to be part of it. <laughs> so, a few things about the movie: it was released in July of 2015. It's directed by Judd Apatow, written by Amy Schumer, and it stars Amy Schumer, Bill Hader. Brie Larson, and so many other people. The IMDb.com summary is, having thought that monogamy was never possible, a commitment-phobic career woman may have to face her fears when she meets a good guy. The IMDb.com score is a 6.2, and it made around $140 million at the box office. And I did want to call out that this movie was actually nominated for two Golden Globe Awards in 2016. It was nominated for Best Actress for Amy Schumer, and Best Motion Picture, Comedy, or Musical. All right, so with that, I'm going to kick it to you, John. What would you rate this movie on a scale from 1 to 10? I was actually saw that IMDb score and was kind of surprised. I thought it was a little bit low because I give this movie an 8. I thoroughly enjoyed it. It's a classic, you know, Judd Apatow movie where it has, you know, it's tender moments, but still funny bits. Plus, it's LeBron's debut as a comedic actor <laughs> or just an actor in general. So that's also part of the appeal. Yeah, that's kind of wild. I'm giving it a 7.5. Okay, so we're, we're in the same neighborhood. We're, we're the we're same close. neighborhood. Yeah. I agree with you, though. I think that the IMDb score is very surprisingly low. Yeah, because I feel like 6.2 is for something that is like, you know, it's got laughs, but like zero substance. And I feel like this movie has plenty of both. You know, there's some some cringeworthy moments, of course. But I mean, what rom-com doesn't have cringeworthy moments? So Agree, 100%. Yeah, I think it's 6.2 is is far too low. Yeah. Before we get into what we like, I just wanted to ask the question, what is your relationship with this movie and why did you choose to talk about this? To put all my cards on the table, I am admittedly not the greatest like rom-com fan, but there are a couple rom-com movies that I do like. I remember going to the movies and seeing and actually enjoying. And also part of it, I remember when I went to go see this movie was because I was curious about LeBron as an actor. Because at the time when this came out, this was sort of the beginning of like when those rumors about like him possibly doing Space Jam, like eventually down the road, were kind of starting to pop up. And so I was like, okay, how feasible of a thing is this because you know space jam michael jordan you know regardless classic. of classic it's, it's still classic because you know it's time to slam now but anyways yeah so i was just curious about you know what kind of acting chops lebron would have in this movie and so you know and then bill Hader, of course he's one of my favorites and this at the time i think he hadn't really had that many sort of leading roles i think this might have been like one of his early if if not his first sort of like leading role in a comedy movie so um i was also wanted to see that this was also at the time when amy schumer was kind of like at the height of hers i mean at least what i consider her height of her career in terms of like popularity because her show on comedy essential was was killing it and then you know i just i was curious to see like how she was going to make that transition from tv person into a movie person so right right yeah so i was thinking about when i first saw this movie and like my relationship with it and i couldn't remember it's not a movie that holds any kind of nostalgia for me and i don't really rewatch this that often i don't feel like it's on tv that often 
Yeah. And when it is on TV, I don't really like watching our movies on cable because I feel like so much of the humor is cut out. Yeah, that's 100% true. Yeah. So I kind of just like don't really flip the channel to it, even if it is on cable, because I'm like, it's not as funny as I know it is. So why am I going to kind of diminish my experience by watching it on cable? For sure. But yeah, the whole LeBron thing is really interesting. I'm not avid sports person. To I'll just put it simply and plainly. Except for Tyson Chandler, but you know that's a whole other oh, story yeah. entirely. <laughs> yes, I totally forgot about Tyson Chandler. Wait, he's in this movie. Yeah, well, yes, but not like really. He just shows no, up no, because no, he yeah. just happens to be on the Knicks. This is also funny to rewatch this being like, <laughs> oh, right. This is when the Knicks were like sort of okay and not the laughing stock that they are now. <laughs> Yeah, 2015. Okay, so yeah, I, I'm not going to claim to know anything about the Knicks from 2015. But I do know LeBron James and his weight of his personality and his legacy in the world. So I think I was reading some review that said that LeBron was actually the biggest star draw of this movie. Yeah. So I'm sure that the box office numbers reflect that as well. Yeah. Because I, I don't think I was the only person who was curious about, like, what his, you know, acting... Because I feel like most of the time when you when you see, like, oh, an actor is going to be in the movie, it's like, oh, it's probably going to be a couple of lines, and, you know, his delivery is probably going to be whatever, and it's going to be really sort of, like, amateur. But I was actually kind of surprised with how good he was. Yeah, yeah. Let's let's kind of move into the things that you like. I mean, we, we can dive deeper into LeBron if you'd like. Yeah, I mean, I think in terms of what I liked about the movie, you know, I have other opinions about LeBron as an NBA player, but I will keep that out of it. And so I'll keep it strictly acting. He actually pulls it off. I remember when I watched this, I was amazed. I was like, wow, he's actually pulling this off. Like, it's not just like, oh, for an athlete, he's okay. It's like, no, as an actual like comedy actor, like he's pretty good. Yeah. Because I actually was, was like, remember, like, I, there were a lot of interviews with, like, Judd Apatow and, like, Bill Hader after this came out, like, when they're doing their normal, like, press tour stuff. But they're mm -hmm. all talking about, they're like, the guy's an amazing basketball player, but, oh, yeah, he, he's actually funny and actually, like, you know, was improving with them, too, which is crazy to think about. So, yeah, it was interesting. Yeah, that was um, a pleasant surprise. I wrote down here that one of the things I liked as well was LeBron James. I thought he was really funny. I think it was a really funny spin to make him a stingy person like splitting the checks yeah oh my gosh that's <laughs> about how you know he left his sunglasses at Aaron's office yeah Aaron being Bill Hader and not wanting to spend an extra $30 on sunglasses like the whole bit of him just being so cheap so so cheap was I thought was kind of funny I mean, honestly, most of the scenes with LeBron, to me, are, are my favorite scenes. Uh, I, sorry, I don't mean to jump ahead, because we'll, we'll, yeah. we'll talk about that later. But yeah, I, I was actually finding that whenever he came on screen, I was like, oh, this is going to be good, because he's just like, his whole rapport with Bill Hader during the movie is also just really funny. Like, their whole sort of, like, weird friendship, and how he's always trying to get him to come to Cleveland. Like, that yeah. That scene is just, it's just that hilarious. That was pretty funny. Me. Yeah, with Bill Hader, in general, I feel like most of the time, with, with comedy, he's just like... He's he's gold. Yeah. Speaking of Bill Hader, he's one of the reasons why I like this movie. I found myself being attracted to him as Aaron, <laughs> which I don't mean to say that like to be mean, that like it's a surprise that anyone would be attracted to Bill Hader, but 
Ooh, I just thought I his character. There are some people who are actually like very sort of like there's basically two camps. There are people who just don't find him attractive at all, and then there's some people who like really find him attractive. Which oh, is really? Just yeah, especially after like you know his series with with Barry, like where you kind of plays like the you know the assassin or whatever. They're like uh, kind of shows more of a cool side because I feel like most of the time, mm. especially on SNL, he's more kind of like the weird character guy. But on Barry, he's actually kind of like supposed to be kind of like stone cold cool a little bit. Well, as much as he can be, but. But yeah, I love him on Barry. I think yeah. Barry's great. He's so good in it. He's so talented. But I really liked seeing him in this role because he plays obviously the opposite of Barry, where he's just like this sweet, very vulnerable. This is actually I wrote down one of the other reasons why I like about this movie is that it's a bit of a gender swap. Yeah, a lot of quote unquote traditional rom coms is that the man is usually the one who's kind of stuck and unable to grow up but in this film it's amy yeah who is stuck and aaron is the one who is like ready to commit he's open he's vulnerable he's very direct he's like i like you i think we should date yeah and i was like this is incredibly refreshing I noticed that too, because I sort of feel like he is very much sort of the ideal man because he's got a good job. He's very nice. He's very sensitive. He's very open. He's, you know, he doesn't really have that much sort of like machismo to him. And like, mm-hmm. especially in comparison to John Cena. <laughs> oh, yes. <laughs> Which John is the Cena. complete opposite. But yeah, no, I mean, his character in this movie is is great. I mean, he he is just sort of like the ideal guy, which is also very interesting. Mm. But I also feel like it's not like too much of a stretch to sort of assume because he is sort of like low key and just sort of very zen almost in a way. Yeah, he's very unassuming, which is, I think, a welcome surprise as well. It's not like some traditionally very macho guy, to your point. It's yeah. he, Bill Hader is kind of like, this sounds terrible, like an average Joe kind of thing. Like he as looks much like a as guy a that... very, very successful surgeon. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's very unassuming. Let's, I guess that is kind of the best word that I can think of. Yeah, he's very much the guy you can take home to your parents and they'll be like, oh, for Mm. sure, he's good. Yeah. You mentioned earlier that you, you know, this is a classic Apatow film. And yeah, I agree with you on that. It's, I've kind of identified three things for it to be an Apatow film is that it has to be sweet. It's incredibly silly, but it's also heartwarming. Yeah. And so Apatow has kind of created this very predictable story for himself, I guess, where all these movies, I don't know, I... I know uh, the Pete Davidson movie came out earlier. Yeah, King of Long Island. The King of Staten Island. King of Staten Island, that's what I meant. I haven't seen the movie, but I've heard that it's good, that it's worth watching. I mean, I feel like that is kind of like Jed Apatow. I mean, this is going to sound like a knock on him, but it's not meant to be. But like, that's kind of the way I feel like his movies always are. Like, they always have like comedy, they always have heart, but they're always good, but they're not like... Mm -hmm fantastic good but they're always good Mm -hmm. so i feel like his style is definitely you know very solid and he definitely sort of like pulls in a lot i mean he definitely has a lot of pool with with sort of comedic talent and he has also a way of like kind of framing them in a different way and like giving them a little more substance and not just sort of like slapstick Mm -hmm. humor only yeah i think i saw this apatow interview he was promoting king of staten island where he made this comment and i never realized it but now that i've thought about it it's incredibly true he said something like when you do a movie with someone who's never done a movie before they really put everything on the line they're not scared they just kind of want to make their break as best as possible so if you think about it and you look back at john apatow films like King of Staten Island, he does Pete Davidson, which I think this was his like also big break. Yeah. Trainwreck, Amy Schumer's big break. Yes. Bridesmaids was Kristen Wiig's big break. Yeah. And yeah, I think there's something to be said about that. 
Yeah, I mean, I think he, because I think it's also part of it, like, his sort of background is that he was sort of, like, a very much a fan of comedy and sort of, like, it was really telling because he did an episode on a Jerry Seinfeld series where, like, you know, comedians in cars getting coffee. And they just sort of talked about, like, how he was just sort of, like, always going to comics and just, like, taking notes and sort of, like, fanboying out and just, like, learning about the craft. So I feel like he has more sort of, like, a background understanding of, like, what their personality and their style and sort of like how to sort of mold that over, you know, to the, like the big screen or just to like bigger media in general. Cause I think, you know, one of the things that Seth Rogen talked about when he did like freaks and geeks with him was that like, Jed Apatow was like, yeah, you need to be able to write material for you because other people aren't going to do it for you. And like only, you know, your style well. And I think that is very indicative of kind of like his style with a lot of the stuff he does. Um, mm. He's just trying to like cater it to, the particular person's strengths and not just trying to make like like the idea that he has for a movie and then just like put people in it he sort of caters it to the people he actually has yeah no that's a really good point i think like in the comedy world he's seen as this guy who i think he has his hands in a lot of projects yeah and so everyone wants his approval or his opinion and his input because he kind of knows how to craft an interesting story so yeah i mean power to john apatow he seems to be turning out really successful things that people are still interested in talking about and watching yeah i mean he's one of the reasons why i like this movie too so i mean it's like you can tell it's it's one of his movies so i was like oh i like it (laughs) Are there any other things that you like about the movie? Um, I mean, I loved all the random cameos. This cast is incredible. Actually, you know, when I was rewatching it, I forgot about a lot of the people that were in this because, like, I totally forgot about the Daniel Radcliffe and Marissa Tomei cameos in, like, the Dog Walker movie <laughs> inside mm-hmm, the movie. Mm-hmm. I totally forgot about that. I forgot about David Tell as the homeless guy. I forgot Randall Park was in this movie. Yeah. I forgot Method Man was also in this movie. Very random. Yes. <laughs> So random. I actually had to write down a list because there were so many familiar faces. Yeah. Uh, just to remind myself who was in it. Like, actually, Pete Davidson's also in this yeah, movie. Yeah, Pete Davidson makes a camp. Because I think that's also where they met. Mm-hmm. I totally forgot about Tilda Swinton. I don't know why, but I forgot. Yeah. Because <laughs> it's just very much not her at all. So it's just I very love strange. it. Yeah. I think that's hilarious. It's like so unexpected. Like this dramatic British actress doing this caricature of this woman. It's so funny. It's super trashy. So trashy with the fake tan and everything. Yeah. But I mean, of course, I can't not mention Brie Larson because I love her. But uh, mm. yeah, I love her in this movie as well. She's sort of like the voice of reason. And it's just like the calm, like steady one and so i loved her in this movie also yeah yeah i think prior to this movie i hadn't she hadn't done anything big you know obviously captain marvel hadn't come out five years ago and so this is also before the room too yeah yeah i think before this i had only seen her because she was in community she like did like a couple oh, cameos okay. here. yeah she was abed's girlfriend which was like i mean a lot of people don't know because it was also during like the seasons and nobody was really really watching i have not watched community what I know, I've never seen it. a whole other conversation (laughs) entirely. (laughs) No, and then also, yeah, before this, I think I'd only really seen her in, uh, she was in, oh, like, Scott Pilgrim vs. the World, I think was, like, the last Mm. thing that I saw her in. Mm -hmm. But, yeah, she's great. I love her. So, a few other things that I specifically liked, kind of more, I guess, thematic reasons. Like I mentioned, there, there are a lot of refreshing things about this movie, but one of the things is also just Amy being unapologetic, She's very sexual. She kind of owns it. She's not ashamed of it. There's that. I don't think that we see a whole lot in mainstream movies like this. Yeah. I thought it was really interesting that there was a depiction of an ill parent. Yeah. Played by Colin Quinn, whose character name is Gordon. Obviously, Amy wrote this movie and she pulled from her own personal life. I I know her dad in real life also has MS. Yeah. 
I don't know. I just, I guess I really appreciated that her life has a lot of different challenges. This seems like a very real and difficult challenge. It's not just like, oh, this boy doesn't like me. It's no, I have to deal with a sick parent and he relies on me. I have to pay for his nursing home and all that kind of conflict that is added to Amy's narrative. I thought was really, really interesting. Yeah, that kind of brings me to... Well, this is the thing. I, I agree with you. I definitely liked a lot of, like, I guess her portrayal. And, like, part of it also for me was, like, there was a little bit of a struggle because I feel like it was, like, she can sort of pull from her own, like, sort of real-life emotions for it. But there were parts about her character's personality that just, like, were tough for me to handle, which mm. was the only part I did like about the movie. Because I think, like, you know, to your point, you know, it, it is refreshing that she was so, like... I guess, so open about uh, and accepting of like her behavior in a way, because she sort of owned the fact that she was clearly an alcoholic and had drug problems and, you know, had emotional issues, which stemmed from, you know, family life. Cause of, you know, that's a very real thing, but yeah, it was hard to, to take sometimes. Yeah. Because you know that she's just self-sabotaging. You're like, yeah. get it together, woman, like grow up, just deal with like real life. And, you know, everybody else has to kind of come to terms and live their daily lives with a lot of challenges, too. So yeah, doesn't excuse bad behavior. For sure. And I think, you know, that the, the scene right after the um, the father's funeral, like where she's super mean to her sister, Kim, it was very hard to sort of like hear that because it was very obvious that she's just sort of acting out. And was just sort of like very raw emotionally. And so that's why she was just sort of sabotaging herself and also just sort of lashing out in general at, at everyone. Yeah. But yeah, that was that was hard to watch. <laughs> it was kind of interesting, though, because Kim is like, what are you doing? Like, I think Kim knows Amy super well, right? Yeah. So she's maybe like maybe even expecting this behavior. It's like, what are you doing? Just stop it. Go home. Yeah. Um, so I thought that was kind of interesting, like the sister dynamic. But I just was reminded that Brie Larson, sorry, prior to Trainwreck, she was in 21 Jump Street. I think that's how oh, I yeah, knew that's, her. Oh, of course, <laughs> 21 Street. Jaffiel? Jaffiel. Yes. I actually forgot that she was in that movie. Yeah, I just did a quick IMDb search as you were chatting. And I was like, oh my gosh, 21 Jump Street. I totally forgot that she was in that movie. I mean, she... She's, she's everything. I mean, that's fine. Yeah. We won't turn this into a Brie Larson love fits, even though it would be so easy, but it's fine. I love her. She's great. I yeah. do. I like her a lot. But, you know, I no, I totally agree with you, though. I think, yeah, she is, it's very clear that she's very sort of very cognizant of the fact that, like, oh, like, this is my sister's sort of move. This is, like, her attitude. This is what she does. And she sort of, like, puts up with it. And I think that's true. Like, it's very much set up by, like, that scene where they're cleaning up their father's stuff and, like, packing mm -hmm. things up. Like, as Amy's making all those comments about her husband and, like, her kid, she's just sort of, like, rolling her eyes and just sort of, like, letting it go past, even though she could have easily gotten super pissed off if she actually sort of took the time. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it seems like there's a lot of things we like about the movie, but let's pivot to what we don't like about the movie. I think you alluded to some earlier, but please feel free to expand on that if, you, if you'd like. Yeah, I mean, I think Amy's personality at times, while it's like good that she owns it, it's just, it's really kind of just, whew, it is very, very <laughs> cringeworthy and just like hard to say. I mean, like the funeral scene that I mentioned, which was pretty bad, and then also just like her treatment of of Aaron Bill Hader's character just because like it's clear that he's like trying to sort of you know move things along and she's just clearly not at the same place that he is mm -hmm. 
yeah, I mean, it's it's just it's rough to watch. And then also like those like the scene where she like breaks up with John Cena too, or rather John Cena breaks up with her is also like pretty bad. It's like I know like it's supposed to be funny because she's just like so high and so sort of disconnected from it. But to me, that was just painful to watch because mm. it's pretty clear that she just she's doesn't so care. selfish. Yeah, she's, she's so, so selfish. terrible. <laughs> yeah. I mean, and then also part of it is because, I mean, it's it's both a good thing and a bad thing. It's that it's so believable because it's very believable that Amy Schumer is kind of like that a little bit. Obviously, you know, not to the same extreme, but she definitely has aspects of her real life personality in there. So I think that's also part of the reason why it was a little more painful. Because I think if I watched, you know, another actress sort of do those same things, if my like personal opinion of that actress was a little bit mm. different, I think like my my viewpoint on like that scene would be a little different mm. yeah no I, I understand yeah but yeah i mean i think that is probably the only thing that really well i mean some of the other like the the intern stuff was a little <laughs> yeah like yeah i don't know about that uh, yeah yeah intern donald played by ezra miller yes pre-flash uh, ezra miller I actually wrote down that he's one of the things I don't like about this movie. Or not he, just that whole scene of them having weird sex. Like, oh, that yeah. did not need to happen. It was very unnecessary. I mean, I guess it was to demonstrate sort of the point. I mean, not sort of. It obviously was to demonstrate a point of, like, literally how far she had fallen. But it was, yeah. I mean, there are other ways of doing it. That was <laughs> a bit much. It was just so weird. I was like, is this, I mean... It, it's meant to be funny, but then it's also like, uh... Yeah, it was... I mean, I'm sure there is weird... I mean, there is weird office stuff that happens in, like, in real life. But that is just... I mean, that was kind of one of my, like... My, one of my more sort of, like, this, this could have gotten cut. Yeah, yeah. I was kind of reading up on other reviews of the movies, and there were sort of other scenes that got brought up as could have been cut. And I was, and no one seemed to really mention this part. And I was like, why not? This seems the most yeah. unnecessary to the movie. Yeah, I was also reading some stuff about, you know, Judd Apatow and, and his movies. But I think the common thread that a lot of critics give him crap for is that his movies are just too long. Yeah. Like, he could easily edit some stuff out. So when I think about it, I can understand why this scene was in the movie. I think it needed to be a vehicle for Amy to get fired from her job. Right. But again, to your point, they could have done something else. They could have created a different story how Amy got fired. But yeah, yeah, I didn't need this scene. Yeah. Because <laughs> it's like there's plenty of other drunken ways to get fired besides underage sex. <laughs> well, yeah, I went drugs. a little too far. Yeah. You mentioned Daniel Radcliffe and Marissa Tomei earlier. <laughs> While they are both fine actors, and I really appreciate all that they've put out in the world, I did not need them in this movie. I did not <laughs> think that they added anything to move the story forward. Like, I think it was just maybe funny haha to see people watching them in a movie. Right. About dog walking? Like, at yes. least make it interesting. I think maybe it was meant to be so uninteresting of a movie. Yeah. But I don't know. I mean, I didn't mind that that much. You know, it's a side gag and they only show up in like little snippets and it's fine. I actually think it's funnier when you get better actors to do those things because it's like, oh, they're sure. clearly wasting these people's talents. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. But yeah. that's what, part of the reason why it's funny. And I actually kind of enjoyed the fact that it was a super, super boring movie that just made no sense whatsoever. You're right. There is comedy in that. I agree with you. But I guess because like, like I mentioned earlier, it's not this is not a movie I've seen multiple times. So right. I was just like, really? 
<laughs> I think when someone watches something over and over, you just, you you kind of expect it, you know it, you embrace it. But for me, I was just like a little bit resistant to yeah. it. No, that's fair. And then, sorry, I have one other scene no, that I didn't really like. I just didn't really get the whole intervention with LeBron. Oh, no. <laughs> Marv Albert, Matthew Broderick, and Chris Evert. It it just was really for, it, to me, it seemed incredibly forced. I think it was a vehicle of a scene for LeBron to be funny again, but it didn't do anything for me. So you are not the only person I know who has that opinion. I would just like to okay. preface that. But I love that scene. Oh, no. Okay, please. Yeah. <laughs> no, because, all right, I get that it doesn't move the story forward at all. And it is pretty much just a vehicle for LeBron to be funny again. That being said, it's hilarious to me. So I get why he kept it in. And I also feel like, I mean, it was also just sort of another way of showing like literally how much like Bill Hader's character, Aaron, had kind of, it was like how much the breakup was affecting him. Because obviously you see him being sad and like sort of like, you know, being downtrodden, but it's not really the same weight until you're like, oh, it's literally so bad that LeBron is doing an intervention for him that mm-hmm. I think gets it home. So I think from that standpoint, it still is, you know, you can still sort of keep it in there and still does a little something for the story. But uh, come on, it's it's so funny. <laughs> like the Marv Hour play by play, Chris Chris Everett hitting on him and then Marv Hour being like, oh man, Chris Everett's really going for it. Yeah. You know, maybe it's someone who watches sports more that might appreciate this scene a little bit more. That said, why is Matthew Broderick in this scene? Yeah, that is a little weird. It doesn't really sort of, (laughs) that breaks the theme a little bit. I mean, I guess he's like, is a patient of Aaron's. And so that's why he's there. They, it was also for that bit about like, oh, like you can be the nerd and marry the girl from Sex and the City. Mm. So I I guess that is sort of the angle of why he's there. But I could have gone without him. But I still yeah. think that scene is, I love that scene, but it's fine. I understand your point. I, <laughs> I totally get it. I, I agree to disagree, but I love that yeah. scene. <laughs> That's so funny. All right, let's move on to themes. I think we mentioned them earlier, but this idea of, well, at, at least the themes that I took away are the idea of family yeah. and all the kind of conflicts and resolutions that go into that. Yeah. I like that Kim and Amy make up in the end. Of course, you know, sisterhood is a really, really strong bond. And then the whole theme of arrested development, Amy being stuck, not knowing how to like grow and move on. And she's just living so irresponsibly. And it's hard to watch at times because <laughs> she's supposed to be in her early 30s, I think, at this point. I don't think they ever specify her exact age. Yeah. But I think she's supposed to be in her 30s. Yeah, roughly. Yeah, I mean, I think for me, yeah, those those were kind of the two that I hit on, too. I mean, I actually specifically put down, like, family forgiveness. Mm-hmm. Just because, you know, there was sort of so much there. Like, the reason why she sort of is the way she is is because of, you know, in a way, she, like, she loves her father and she sort of does idolize him. But a lot of her issues stem from, like, that broken relationship between her mom and her dad. And then that's why she acts the way she acts and sort of doesn't believe, you know, as they say in the beginning, like monogamy is is not realistic. Right. So, yeah, that was kind of like that was a very sort of overlying thing for me. But, yeah, I think the sort of arrested development is, is, a, is a proper term for that because yeah. she was definitely like stuck. Stuck. <laughs> yeah. So stuck. I mean, there's something to be said. I know that you and I come from families whose parents are still together. Yeah. So 
I think being a child of divorce is something that I will never understand as someone whose parents divorced very young would. Yeah. So yeah, I think that does take an extreme toll on someone and maybe that does shape someone's outlook on relationships and love. Like, what's the point? No one stays together anyway. Right. So let's just sabotage from the beginning. Yeah. And it's not my fault because, you know, this is who I am coming into it. You right. see what you see is what you get. So it's yeah, I can I can understand that that's a valid struggle that a lot of people might go through. Yeah, because I feel like even if you are from a family where the parent, like your parents never got divorced ever, I mean, you've all, you know, been there when their parents are not, the relationship isn't the greatest. And they're like, you know, there is definitely like tension and friction there. And so I think that still informs a lot of, you know, what we think of in terms of like long term happiness or long term relationships in general. Because I think, you know, I know a lot of people who, you know, even though the parents are still together, they still don't view marriage as a realistic thing because they're like, yeah, they're still together, but they're miserable. And so mm. it's like, why? What's the point? So mm-hmm. I think that sort of can inform a lot about like how we sort of view our like how or at least it can inform our viewpoint on relationships, too. So I think that is a very sort of relatable concept in this movie. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And I think I mean, I keep using the word refreshing, but like, it's kind of nice to see a woman kind of struggle through that realization and learn to deal with it yeah because normally you see the guy being like the screw up where he's like the alcoholic the drug like the drug user yeah screws up a perfectly good relationship and then totally you know doesn't sort of rebound from it until it's like near the end yeah yeah a a true commitment phobe is not usually the woman it's usually the man depicted in these movies yeah let's move on to favorite scene you said that you have a few with lebron i'm interested to hear yeah, I mean the pretty much all the scenes with uh, with Aaron and LeBron are just are great. Like the restaurant scene is just it's hilarious to me, and I can also tell like as you know the scene is progressing, I was like, oh, they must have broke so much while filming yeah, this because I think so. It's so fun, especially when he goes on his entire rant about Cleveland. He's like, why don't you come visit me in Cleveland? He's like, you visit me when I was in Miami. He's like, well, yeah, because it's Miami, which is totally true. Like. I don't mean to offend the people who might be listening from Cleveland, but there's a reason yeah. why nobody talks about Cleveland. There is nothing there. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, and like, you know, so all those scenes I just found hilarious, especially like well, when they're playing basketball and he's quoting Kanye to him and Bill Hader <laughs> literally calls up and he's like, are you quoting Kanye to me right now? Right, right. Talking about baby mamas and all that. <laughs> Also, it's just like that is such a real scene to me because like he actually like he's getting owned by LeBron the entire time he's expect and he scores that one basket. And he's like, I'm done. <laughs> like, that's exactly the move you should have. Like, I scored on LeBron. I'm quitting basketball forever. I'm done. <laughs> yeah, I actually have a question for yes. you. As someone who follows basketball, and let's hypothetically say you're friends with LeBron James. Let's say you're Aaron in this scenario. Yes. But you're you. Yes. Do you think LeBron James actually balls with civilians for fun? I mean, I don't think so. I mean, there's also, like, realistically, there's probably some, like, sort of contract things involved with that, too, in terms of, like, other activities, because you don't want to risk getting injured. Right. I don't know, like, specifics, obviously, but I know that it is a thing. There's certain things you cannot do. But in terms of, like, playing with his friends, like, yeah, maybe. But also the question is, like, if you were his friend... Like, how much would you want to play? (laughs) Right. Oh, yeah. I'm going to go into this knowing that I'm going to get absolutely destroyed regardless of, like, what's happening. I mean, I would do it at least once, but I don't know. Yeah. I just, I thought, I was watching that scene and I was like, this is really cute that they do this. But at the same time, I was like, how realistic is this scene? 
Yeah, I just couldn't help myself but wonder. I was like, if you're Aaron, do you want to be playing basketball with LeBron James? Yeah. I mean, that's the only sort of question. I mean, in terms of like pickup games, like I know NBA players do play pickup games because there's like multiple clips of them out there playing, you know, pickup games with random people. But in terms of like friends like that who aren't actual players, like I don't right. know. But um, <laughs> it's still a plausible scene to me. Got it. And it's still hilarious, nevertheless. And then, of course, the intervention scene was also the other one that I enjoyed, but we've already talked about that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Uh, but then besides that, also, like, the John Cena scenes, like, they're cringeworthy yeah. because they're just, like, so awkward. But they're also, I usually hate, like, awkward, cringeworthy scenes, but the ones with John Cena are just really funny. <laughs> like, the whole movie theater thing where he's just, like, saying these I mean, they're like homoerotic things to the guy, and the guys are sort of like, "What are you coming on to me?" Like, it's so funny. <laughs> it was very funny. So, I actually going back to my relationship with this movie. I think this was maybe the first time I had seen John Cena. Also, like, I don't follow yeah. WWE or WWF or whatever he was in. Yeah. But he was incredibly funny. And like rewatching this, I had forgotten how funny his parts were. Yeah. And you're right, homoerotic. You're like, wait, is this wrong to be laughing at this? But it's <laughs> exactly. also incredibly funny. Like, what's that scene where he's in the movie theater to your point and he's like, I wanna lick your asshole? Oh yeah, he's like <laughs> he's like, you know what I do to guys like you? I lick them. It's like, wait, what? <laughs> I mean, I think it is also kind of a commentary because if you think about like super sort of like, you know, macho dudes, like a lot of the stuff that they sort of like say or do could be kind of like turned and kind of considered like almost kind of homoerotic in a way. So I think this is just sort of like an exaggeration of that to the extreme, which is also why it is so funny. Yeah, because John Cena, this is, I think, his first sort of like foray into comedy because i think before he'd only sort of done like action movies ish like bad action movies but yeah he yeah he's hilarious yeah no and i'm just i'm thinking back now like there's some scenes when he and amy are having sex and oh god she's like (laughs) talk dirty to me and he just does not know how to do it and he just gets really weird and uncomfortable and then he's it's amy's just like what what's happening (laughs) yeah those john cena scenes were very funny very memorable for sure Because he just starts saying all those sort of, like, sports team platitudes. He's just like, you know, there's no I in team and all this right, other right. stuff. And you're like, what? What? <laughs> She's so confused. She's like, I yeah. don't know how to deal with this. Yeah. Uh, any other scenes for you? Um, so the the big fight that they have after Aaron gets that uh, award from the Doctors Without Borders, where, you know, she's, like, smoking up in the hallway. Like, he is justifiably upset about it. And he's just like, mm-hmm. you know, he's like, oh, we're just going to fight and it's fine. And then she just completely sort of, like, loses it. <laughs> and it just like, sort of leads into that whole montage of her just, like, saying all these things that are, like, almost in a way kind of, like, positives for him. He's like, oh, she's like, oh, you go down on me too much. It's like, wait, that's a complaint? Like, I don't understand. <laughs> <laughs> I forgot about that line. She's like, wait, forget this whole part of the argument. She forget the whole part keep, of the argument. Keep like, doing what you're doing. Yeah. She's just, like, trying to, like, twist it so much. She's just like, wow, she's grasping at straws so hard right now. <laughs> And so that was that was that was pretty hilarious to me. I forgot about that scene. Yeah, there's that one scene that I don't know why it made me laugh so hard, but Amy and Aaron have sex for the first time, and she sleeps over, which she's not accustomed to doing. Right. She usually leaves and goes back to her own place. Right. But she's like, okay, I'll stay, but like, you know, can we put this pillow in between us? And also, like, can you just go over there? Can you just like breathe towards the ceiling? Like, just 
it's just so long and uncomfortable. You're like, Amy's the worst. Yeah. And why does Aaron want her over if she's just being so mean? But I know I, I, that that scene. I don't know. It just was really funny to me. Aaron's like, Jesus. Okay, fine. I'll just stay over here on my side of the bed. Yeah, that's also yeah. That scene to me was also interesting because like it was very very awkward and very long. And to be honest, I did like skip over like near the the tail end of that. I skipped four because I was mm. like, I don't need to see the rest of this. <laughs> But yeah, it is kind of crazy that after that, Aaron's like, oh yeah, like I had fun last night. Like, let's let's hang out again. I was like, oh really? Like if a girl mm. did that to me, I would have been like, mm, okay, she's weird. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I agree. That is very, very weird behavior. Yeah. One of my other favorite scenes is probably predictable of me is the end scene. Of course. <laughs> Amy does the dance with the, the dancers. I, I just really liked that whole scene where she's trying she's trying to prove herself to Aaron. And that one scene, Aaron looks back at her and like Billy Joel starts to play. It was just really sweet, really endearing. He's like kind of just in this moment. He's just so moved by how, how, uh, how much work she's put into this. Yeah. I started crying the first time I saw this movie. I think I cried, but then like she immediately, <laughs> like she's just messing up the dance. So like you're laughing yes. and crying and then she misses the shot. So yeah, I just felt like it just was this, back and forth of laughing and crying but I, I cried on a lot of things so yeah i mean i yeah when i was watching it, i also figured when i was watching it, i was like oh michelle's totally crying at this scene. <laughs> <laughs> yep no but so yeah the yeah the nick city dancers yeah that whole scene was it was kind of predictable in a way yeah no i mean that scene is yeah it's a very sort of fitting and i think to like sort of like i guess her her transformation or i guess her her sort of whole cleanup process um so i thought yeah that was a that was a fun scene yeah. So I think it's perfect that she missed, like, that she totally, because, like, you can see it coming, too, when she's, like, running. You're, like, <laughs> she's totally going to flop on this. And it's it's a perfect way to end that scene. It's perfect. But she's just, like, did I make it? And Aaron's, like, what? He's, like, no, oh, no, 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 no. Absolutely not. You did not make it. He's, like, most people, you know, hit it hard and then go up. You did not do that at all. <laughs> she did the opposite. She belly flopped that. Yeah, it was pretty bad. Um, any other last favorite scenes? I mean, I actually kind of enjoyed, I will say, well, I didn't write this down, but now that I think about it, I actually did kind of enjoy the fact that the reason why, like, during that whole reconciliation between uh, Amy and Kim, like, it's her son Alistair when he's talking about, like, the Minecraft stuff. It's a really cheesy scene and not normally a scene that I actually, like, would normally sort of take notice of, but I thought it was particularly poignant is when mm. he's like, oh, yeah, like, this is the room for you guys. And that's, like, totally what hits her. And she's like, <laughs> Yeah, no, I actually wrote that scene down too. It didn't make it into my final cut of notes, but I did write that down as I was watching it. I remember I wrote down like sometimes kids just say things in like super plain speak. Yeah. And that's kind of what she responds to. Even though she like rails on this kid, like she just yeah. teases him behind his back. She ultimately, you know, she has a soft heart. I think she just puts up guards. She's very vulnerable inside. That's why. There you go. That's that's usually the whole stick. It's like when you're sort of feeling very vulnerable inside, you're like, I have to put up all these tough exteriors, that whole mm -hmm, stick. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but I agree with you. That was a really sweet scene. That also kind of is like a very cliche rom-com moment, which leads us to the next point. Yeah. 
Yeah, please go ahead. What do you think the most cliche moments are? So I thought that one was cliche, but was still one of my favorite scenes. Um, And then also like the whole like going to a family event and like all the other characters talking about sort of like future family plans and it freaking out the couple and like them sort of like that being the like one of the pushing points of like why there's that tension. It's because all all these people are talking about future. It's like, oh, where are we going? Like that was very cliche to me. But, you know, Mm -hmm. rom-com moment. That's fine. I get it. And then, like, the whole sort of theme of, like, the main character obviously rejecting, like, the perfect person for them. Like, Amy's character is a disaster. Uh, And then Aaron is sort of, like, you know, this perfect guy that cares about her and is, like, very stable and everything. But she's still sort of, like, pushing back and, like, not accepting it at all. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And then also the sad breakup montage. Very, very rom-com, which is classic. And then, yeah, the the ending with the -the over-the-top love confession at the end. (laughs) Yep. Yeah, yeah, you are right on every one of those points. So I'll be honest, I actually didn't write down any of rom-com moments for this movie, (laughs) just because a lot of it is incredibly tropey. It's very predictable. Yeah. But I think that's what I like about rom-coms is that they are comfortable and more often than not, they are a happy ending when a lot of things are kind of unsettling or crazy in our real world. It's kind of nice to tune those things out and just watch a story about how these people who are incredibly flawed, but in the end, always figure out how to fix themselves and move forward and get what they want. Yeah. A lot of moments are incredibly cliche. Yeah. I mean, I think as I was going, yeah, as I was sort of watching it, I think, yeah, to your point, it was, yeah, there's just rom-com moment after rom-com moments. But yeah, those were just like the main ones that are sort of like the most um, Mm -hmm. cliche to me. But yeah, no, I think there is a lot of comfort in, you know, watching. I mean, it's the whole reason why, you know, when people say like, oh, like, why don't you want to watch this like sad, dark movie? It's like, because if I want that, I'll just turn on the news. Like, I don't watch (laughs) movies to for darkness and sadness. Like, I watch movies to be entertained and feel good afterwards. Like, I understand, like, movies that are sad and dark, like, can be beautiful in a way and still sort of, like, you know, thought-provoking. And, like, that's fine, and I get that. But in terms mm-hmm. of, like, what I would prefer to watch, that's not going to be my go-to at all. <laughs> 100% agree. Yeah. So, you know, I think there, you know, to your point, I think, yeah, there is a lot to be said about why people enjoy rom-coms, obviously. I don't like my movies to be quite as predictable, which is why I don't usually tend <laughs> to gravitate towards rom-coms as much. But I, I get the appeal. Yeah, no, I I totally get you. Let's move on to WTF moments. Do you want to start that off? Yeah, I mean, we we kind of talked about it already, but the the underage intern sex scene was yep. yeah, that was all that was a WTF of the highest order. Also, it's kind of crazy that she didn't get any charges pressed against her either, because like her parents walk in and the, the guy's underage, so right, getting fired would sort of just be minimum i feel like um, yes there and like that sort of goes from like oh she gets fired her having sex with an underage kid with an intern who's like who's a minor and then she goes from that to getting a feature in vanity fair it's like that mm. does not seem all that plausible like vanity fair must have known that or at least would have checked like why she got fired yeah like why did she get fired and if they told her, i don't think they'd be like oh yeah we'll still publish your article that's fine so that was super unrealistic to me. And then also the big plot hole to me was Method Man tells Amy uh, when Aaron comes to like stitch up his wound after he falls. He specifically tells her, oh, I think your dad is hoarding pain meds. And then she just completely ignores it. 
And then she finds out later, it's like, oh, he died because he had a heart attack because he was hoarding his pain medication. It's like she didn't do anything with that information. And so kind of like in a way, she's kind of responsible for what happened to him because she didn't do anything about it. But uh, yeah, I thought that was weird that they sort of completely I mean, there's not enough time or room, I guess, to talk about that. But I mean, I thought that was kind of a, a big plot hole. I totally missed that. But yes, oh. <laughs> you are absolutely right. Because like also to me, like realistically, like if the nurse had told her that, I mean, in the real world, like she could have like, you know, said something to the nursing home or the nursing home could have been held responsible because it's like, oh, your nurse knew about this and did nothing about it, which was the direct cause of my father's death mm. and could have like, you know, I'm sure she would have sued them in real life. Wow. Such a good point. Such a good call out. I wrote down intern Donald, basically, yeah. like... <laughs> How is he 16? How is he getting hired by this magazine? Does he, does no one know how old he is? And also like when he brings Amy home, like does she not know that he's bringing her into a home? Yeah, I mean, she's drunk and she's true, like, true. And probably high. Because like, you know, in that first scene with that brother dude that she has, she doesn't even know that she's like not even in New York City anymore. So she has no oh, idea right. where she's going. <laughs> so <laughs> True. All right, I'll give you that. She's incredibly drunk off her ass. Right. As I mentioned earlier, like, I've seen this movie not that many times. I wasn't watching to necessarily, like, poke holes as much as I might do if it's an older movie I've seen many, many times. Right. So a lot of the stuff in this movie was quite fresh. So I think I was trying to keep up with, like, oh, this is a funny bit. This is a funny bit. Wow, I really like that bit. But also just not really picking out the WTF moments. But I'm so glad that you picked out those two because those (laughs) are very big ones. Yeah, I mean, I think in general, when you're watching rom-coms, like, you're not as attentive about some of the details, because it's sort of like, oh, you know, you don't actually need to know some of those details, because it's not, like, super important, but it's sort of like, huh, that's weird, like, why is that happening? (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Let's move on to the ending. Do you have any thoughts about it? Are you happy with it? I have thoughts. Uh, <laughs> okay. <laughs> that sounds very loaded. Please. No, because I think I admittedly, like, I appreciate, like, how much Amy owns her mistakes and she's trying to improve and she really does love Aaron and all that. But really, like, I don't know if she, if Aaron should have ended up with her. I mean, I guess, like, in terms of the happy ending, of course they should end up together and he loves her. And so, and if he loves her and she loves him, it should be fine. But, like, she's kind of toxic for him. I mean, I guess she does in the end, like improve. And like, I guess you sort of assume that she's just going to stick with that and like stay that way. But like, you know, old habits die hard. So who knows like if she is actually going to maintain that or not. So Aaron is such a perfect dude, which sounds weird to say, like he's such a perfect (laughs) dude that like he deserves better, but he does kind of deserve better. (laughs) Like, You know, he deserves somebody who's, like, more supportive and all that. And, like, you know, maybe she will, you know, after her whole realization that she's broken and she's, like, cleans herself up, like, you know, she will be more supportive. But, you know, it's kind of, like, a rough patch, which I think is also part of the reason why I'm kind of surprised. I guess, like, it makes sense money-wise why they didn't do a sequel. But I was like, there's still plenty of stuff they could have explored if they had done sequels. So, yeah, I think the ending is... You know, it's a rom-com ending, so it, it ties everything up nicely, and so I, I accept that. But really, I, I don't know if it should have been tied up that nicely. Yeah, I for for this movie, I wrote down to the question, am I happy with the ending? I just wrote, sure. Mostly because, like, I'm kind of neutral about it as well. Yeah. Like, I actually think it felt really abrupt. Yeah. Like, the end scene was that dance scene. Yeah. At Madison Square Garden. So... 
there wasn't like any kind of, oh, this is them like six months later, or like, I appreciate that grand gesture of a scene, don't get me wrong, but right. I don't know if it needed to end it with that big scene. Right. Yeah, I don't really know what I would have preferred to see either, though, so. Yeah, because I think also it is sort of putting a lot of stock in like sort of her grand gesture, and like, I guess it's supposed to symbolize the fact that she's trying, and, and so that's what's important. But I feel like one grand gesture should not sort of overshadow mm. like all the other development that she clearly did or needed to do or had to, or had done. So I think, yeah, to your point, I think it would have been nice to sort of have maybe sort of like a slight little epilogue after that of like her being, you know, supportive and like good and like sober and all that or like her like getting a new job because of all, all you know, everything else that she had done, like stuff like that. Because, yeah, I, I think... You know, now that you mentioned, like, it felt kind of abrupt, like, it, it did. It felt weird that it was, you know, that was it. Like, that was the end scene, like, they kiss and it's, and it's over, which is a very rom com also, mm-hmm. I would like to point out, that they end on a kiss yeah. and everything's fine. It's yep. Like, come on. Yeah, I mean, one of the questions down the line, well, let's talk about it now because I think it's a good segue, is do you think these characters stay together? Oh, yeah. So, for me, what I literally wrote down was hard to say. <laughs> Because I, I guess, like, Aaron touches upon it uh, early when they have that first meal together, when he talks about, like, oh, how, like, my mom is, you know, this, and my dad's, like, they're both very successful. Since he's an only child, like, they're both very on him and active in his in his childhood and making sure he was successful. I kind of mm-hmm. find it hard to believe they would be super happy about meeting Amy. <laughs> so, like, I mean, coming from, you know, coming from my family where the parents are obviously just want the best for your kids. I mean, any family, any, any parents want that, but they're always going to be super critical of, you know, Know, whatever significant other you know their child brings home so i i feel like there would definitely be a lot of tension there especially like given her history and given mm. the fact that she's not so great at hiding that history so i literally wrote down like the easy sequel would have been them trying to get married and then going through that whole process of like meeting the parents or at least her meeting his parents and like the whole shenanigans of that and like how like that went down and how you know sort of like they're they have very different upbringings very different lives I, I don't know if I would if they would say to you. I mean, I think if she stays sober and she like actually does like continue that growth that she did show at the end of the movie, like yeah, that would probably make things work. But like, who knows? That's a really interesting thing that you brought up because I didn't think that analytically about it. My answer at first is that I wrote down I'd like to think so. <laughs> also, maybe it's probably just a nicer way of what you said. Hard to say. Yeah. <laughs> I think that they are good together. I think that it's nice that, you know, in my personal opinion, I think the balance is nice when one person is maybe inherently challenging the other person. I think that's a good thing in a relationship. Yeah. I understand it could be very difficult and maybe not for everybody, but the whole concept of Amy meeting Aaron's parents and not being able to hide her loose past or whatever you want to call it. But yeah, no, that's a really interesting thought. I would like to think that if there, I mean, I don't think there needs to be a sequel, but if there was a sequel, that would be an interesting play on it. Yeah. Hmm. You've given me something to think about. Yeah. I mean, I'm just a, I mean, I'm a crazy person like that, but I, yeah, I really went down the rabbit hole because I was like really sort of planning it out being like this, how would this really go down? You know, if we're really 
gonna get into like the sort of like you know be analytical about it i was like yeah there are some things that are difficult to say whether or not they would be compatible because i i think you know i i do agree with you about your point of like it's important for your significant other to challenge you but i think it's also important about how they challenge you because like i think the challenges with them wouldn't necessarily be like challenges for him to grow It'd be the challenge of like making sure that she continues to grow and so I sort of feel like, I don't know if there's mutual growth there. There would definitely be growth on her side, but like, mm-hmm. I don't know if he would have growth too. Yeah. Maybe part two or the sequel would be how does Aaron grow or change or evolve yeah. a little bit, you know? Cause to your point, Aaron is painted as this perfect guy. Right. So, I mean, and no one's perfect. Let's right. be real. Right. So I'm sure there are skeletons in his closet that we just didn't get into in this movie. Because I'm sure he's got he's got parent issues too. I'm sure because he sort of like yeah. very casually like glazes over it when she asks the question about that, and like that's it. Yeah, for sure. Who's your favorite character in the movie? Uh, obviously Aaron and LeBron. Obviously LeBron. Yes. Well, that's not, not obvious LeBron because in real life I don't actually know if I like LeBron. Actually, no, I don't like LeBron in real life. But oh, okay. A, okay. Yeah, that's a whole other thing that's like political sure. and all that that we won't get into. Okay. But yeah, and then also Brie Larson's character Kim love her because she's just again voice of reason and very just sort of like together and just lovely and then i also liked nikki vanessa bayer because she yes that's the thing about vanessa bayer she pretty much only plays one character but she does it so well (laughs) that it's great (laughs) like she kind of does like the whole like fumbling like awkward like weird Mm -hmm. person but she's great at it and it's not in an annoying way and so like you know she does that character in like everything but she's good so Mm -hmm. yeah she was very funny actually so i watched an uncut version of this movie which i guess is even longer i don't know if it's in the original cut but there's this scene where in the beginning of the movie nikki and amy are going to the bathroom at the office together oh yeah two different stalls (laughs) there's that whole bit of johnny depp and i was just like this is hilarious i would have appreciated more of vanessa bayer in this movie to be honest with you yeah, I, I enjoy the two because like that scene where like the night after the morning after she sleeps over and he's calling her and she's right. like, oh, hang up on him. He's clearly like got problems. Like the whole he's got thing. problems. It's yeah. so funny. Yeah, no, she's great. They're, they're like two peas in a pod if that's their approach to relationships. Yeah. I wrote down that Kim is my favorite character, agreeing basically with what you said. She's the most grounded and personally relatable character in the movie. Just she's like the rock in Amy's life. Yeah. Yeah, she's just steadfast, and she's just such an understanding sister. Yeah, and she's just so, yeah, she's just great. I love Brie Larson, but that's fine. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, it would have been nice to see more of Nikki. Obviously, great to see more of Kim, but yeah, and I, I will give it to LeBron. Like, I think he was, he was really, he was good in this movie. Mm-hmm. Like, I enjoyed his scenes. Like, the serious parts were, were great and believable, and then, yeah, the it was just it was just great. Like that scene where he sits down with Amy at that like jam fest thing or whatever. He he just looks at her straight up. He's like, don't hurt him. It's mm-hmm. like, oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. Can you imagine if LeBron James told you that? Like, don't hurt him. Yeah. You mentioned this earlier. I, that whole bit where he asks Aaron about his sex life with Amy. Oh my gosh. It's so funny. <laughs> you guys already have a safe word? He's like, I have to live vicariously through you. I'm a married man. And then he goes through yeah. the whole thing. It's so funny. Safe oh, word. Man. I forgot about that. Yeah. Yeah. Because, like, it's just a very good, like, bro relationship in a way. But I do like that he's like, oh, you guys already have a safe word? Like, that's great. Yeah. <laughs> that's crazy, but that's early. <laughs> Calypso. Calypso is Calypso. a safe word, I think. Calypso is a safe word. <laughs> so, I actually cried twice in this movie. Oh, really? The scene when Dad dies. Of course. Amy's giving her eulogy, which I thought was incredibly touching. Yeah. 
I think Amy was able to recognize, I mean, she knows, she has known this about her dad, that he's not a good person. Right. Kind of a racist. He's kind of a sexist. But she loves him because he's her dad. Right. And so I think that was also an interesting thing to see is that I think a lot of things that we see in media is very black or white. Dad's a terrible person, so I don't like him. Right. But no, that wasn't the case for her. She was able to, you know, see past his flaws and she stood up for him to Kim. You know, Kim's like, I want to move him to the cheaper home. And, yeah. she's, you know, she's the one who um, is fighting for her dad. But yeah. Yeah. And so when she's able to kind of come to terms at, at her dad's funeral, I just thought it was a re- really emotional moment. Yeah, no, I, I agree. I think... It was like surprisingly sort of good self-reflective moment, I feel like, where she recognized things about herself, but also things about about her dad. But it was like surprisingly very well thought out and very sort of put together. I remember when I first watched the the movie, I actually thought that was potentially going to be the turning point. But then it was a turning point, but in the negative way, not the bad way. (laughs) Right, right. I do remember when I saw this movie and dad dies, I was like, whoa, that was a twist. I did not see it coming because I know that Amy's dad in real life is still alive. So I was just like, oh, I I didn't see that plot turning there. But yeah, that's the, I think maybe the traditional Judd Apatow kind of kicker is that you get really emotional at weird times when you don't expect it. You're like, why am I responding to this like this? Yeah. Also, Colin Quinn as the dad. Great. Mm. He's perfect for that because I also feel like in real life he's kind of racist and sexist too. <laughs> <laughs> he plays he plays it well. Yeah, he plays like the drunk Irish guy really well because he's kind of a drunk Irish guy, but it's fine. Mm. I actually did have a question for you. Yes. Along the lines of LeBron, and maybe this is an obvious answer, but if you realize LeBron is LeBron and, you know, making millions and millions and millions of dollars, he should pay. No? Oh, 100% he should pay. <laughs> like, that scene was hilarious because I also felt like, I don't think in real life he would actually be like this because he seems like he's a bit more giving than that. He would just pay for it or whatever. But I did like Bill Hayden. He's like, you're LeBron James. Like, why would we just like pay for it, dude? He's like, what do you think? I'm made of money? He's like, yeah, you are made of money, dude. <laughs> <laughs> There's that one line in that in that restaurant scene where LeBron's like, I told you those refills weren't We're free. free. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That was like, I totally had like flashbacks of like being younger and my parents being like, I told you those refills were free. Yeah, yeah. Same. Could only get a drink if they're free refills. Yeah, that's pretty much my, I mean, I still feel that way because it's just like instilled in me that like I only will get drinks if they're free refills. Yeah, I I 100% understand. It's not like Aaron's hurting for money either, though. It's like you're a successful sports surgeon in New York. Like, he's probably fine, too. Yeah. But I have kind of fantasized about this. I've, I've talked about this with friends of mine. Is like, if you were friends, like really close friends with someone who was really, really rich, is it bad to expect them to pay for everything? I mean, I can understand that a friendship, it should not be reliant on that person right. to pay. But I guess if you're freaking LeBron James... And yeah. going out to lunch that maybe costs less than $30 a person, you can you can pay the bill, LeBron. Yeah, I mean, I feel like most of the time it's understood, at least based on my understanding, in interviews I've like seen with like athletes or whatever, like when they have their entourage or whatever, it's generally assumed and expected that the player will cover everything for everybody. For me personally, like if I were with somebody who was, you know, that loaded or whatever, I would still 
offer to split, but I would fully mm-hmm. expect them not to accept that and to just pay. Yeah. It's just like, that's kind of like, you know, it's like the Asian family dynamic. You know, you always try to split the bill or just cover the bill. You fight over the bill. That's a, it's a thing. Yeah. But so what I took away from what you just said is that I need to get on someone's entourage if oh, I yeah. want someone to pay for everything. Yeah. You need to be, you know, friends with somebody who's going to be like a hugely successful athlete and then just like be part of their world. Yeah. I mean, also that does, that seems like a lot of work too. So is it though? I don't know. I mean, I have no frame of reference, so I don't know. Uh, let's talk about the music. Does the music kind of mean anything to you in this movie? Uh, I love Billy Joel, so I loved all the use of Billy Joel in, in the movie. I also enjoyed the fact that they did the callback to it at the end after he used it during his surgery. I also like how Amy asked about, like, oh, like, why Billy Joel? He's like, why, why not? It's a, That's the yeah. exact answer you should have. Because there are a surprising number of people who are just anti-Billy Joel, and I don't understand why. Because I was like, his music is great. It's iconic. The fact we're still talking about it now means it's great. Yeah, I agree. I actually wrote down Billy Joel. That's like the only thing I wrote down yeah. about this category was just Billy Joel and Uptown Girl. Great, yeah. great use of him. Admittedly, I'm not not a fan of Billy Joel. I like him. I love his music, but I think I only know like his commercial hits. I'm not someone who has a deep knowledge of Billy Joel. I do know that he has a standing residency in New York or did. I don't know if he still does. And also, has he not made new music since, like, the 90s or something like that? No, he hasn't. But he can still tour and he can still sell things out. I saw him at Dodger Stadium because I was, like, it was around the time when, like, a lot of artists were dying and I got worried that he was going to die soon. So I was like, I better go watch him before he dies. Wow, that's dark. (laughs) I mean, it was a dark time. I guess comparatively, it's not a dark time, but it was a dark time when, like, a lot of musicians, because it was, like, around when, like, David Bowie had just died and then Michael Jackson Mm. died and there was, like, a whole bunch of stuff. And I was, like, I was worried. So I saw, like, literally that summer, it was the summer of, like, seeing artists that were potentially on their way out. So I saw Billy Joel and I saw Elton John that summer. Wow, you really did that. Yes, I really did that. Yeah, no, I mean, Billy Joel, part of the reason why I'm a fan is also because, like, I'm a karaoke person and his, like, music is, like, right in my range. So that's why I know his catalog. Yeah. Yeah, that's all I have to say about the music of this movie, too. Just Billy Joel. There you go. I mean, that's pretty much all you need to say. It's Billy Joel. Yeah. Do you think this movie is beloved? I don't think it's beloved. I don't even think it's necessarily that popular either. I think, you know, it's most people would be like, oh, yeah, that movie. Like, they wouldn't have negative opinions of it. But it's sort of like, oh, yeah, I was I watched it. It was good. Does it have like any sort of like longevity to it? I don't know. I mean, it'll be remembered, I think, as LeBron's first movie. But Mm. that's pretty much it. I think if Amy Schumer had followed this up with other super successful movies, it would maybe have a little more weight. But since she didn't, it's that's a good point. Not. That's a really good point. But, you know, Bill Hader's moved on to bigger and greater things, and he's still great. You know, I, I don't know if I would go out of my way to watch it again. I think, if I think, like, to your point earlier about, like, you know, if it happened to show up on TV, like, I would probably watch it, but I don't know if I would, like, you know, own it or anything like that. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I kind of agree with you. I think I'm a little confused as to why this has such a low IMDb number. I was trying to kind of, you know, when I was doing my research, the, the reviews were really good. The yeah. critics really liked this movie. Yeah, I'm kind of at a loss as to why this movie isn't, I don't know if part of the conversation is what I'm trying to say, but like, this isn't a movie that people talk a lot about. And I think this was kind of brought into the narrative a little bit more just recently because Judd Apatow was promoting King of Staten Island. Yeah. So I saw some like roundups of Judd Apatow films. And this is like on the best of his list. Yeah, but I would agree yet, with that. 
it's not anywhere near like a knocked up or 40-year-old virgin. I do think that you made a really good point that uh, Amy Schumer didn't really follow this up with any other critical successes. Yeah. She did Snatched with Goldie Hawn and uh, I Feel Pretty. And both movies were just like, eh. I feel like, well, Snatch was not great. And then I Feel Pretty, I think she actually got backlash for that one. So I think that's also part of the reason why she's Mm. like kind of done movie-wise. I mean, I think part of the reason maybe why the IMDb score is lower is because maybe it is because of the rewatchability. I mean, I think... I don't know if a lot of people consider that when they're giving their score, but it's definitely possible that that's part of the reason why it's not higher. Because, like, if you look at, like, the Metacritic score, for example, like, it's 75. Like, that's pretty good. Mm. So, you know, obviously, like you said, like, the critics definitely liked it. It's just a matter, I guess, of, like, there just may not be enough rewatchability to it. Yeah, that's a really good point. Do you think this movie's aged well? Yeah, mostly, yeah. I mean, it's still pretty funny. I still think it's entertaining. Like, I was pleasantly surprised by parts of it because i was like oh yeah i forgot you know how funny this like this scene was or like this part was mm-hmm. like given the political climate right now i don't know if some of the stuff would have stayed in there um Agreed. like the whole intern sex thing probably wouldn't have been included it's still a funny movie and it's still there's not like too many dated references except for like you know the knicks players not being there anymore mm. but uh, other than that i think like most of it is still pretty present so there were some moments where I don't know if they would be kept in if it were made today in 2020. So there's that bit when Amy and Aaron meet for the first time and Aaron's like asking Amy, like, you know, do you like athletes or whatever, whatever? And Amy's like, oh, because they're oh, black. Oh, yeah, that's right. The whole black. I forgot about that whole black people part. Yeah, that was a little. Uh, ugh. <laughs> ugh, yeah, I was just like, ooh, this is really uncomfortable. And yeah. then like Amy trying to prove that she has black friends, but then just like it just not does not go well. For yeah, and her. then she shows a picture and the only black person is the waiter. And it's like uh, that that's just the waiter. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's just it was so. I know, like, the narrative right now is we're supposed to sit with our discomfort. But in this case, like, it's just not funny anymore, I guess, is what I'm trying to say. Like, that was a little dated. And there was also another scene. I don't know if this is in the original version or if it's only in the unrated version. But at the funeral, for Gordon's funeral, Nikki, Vanessa... Oh, gosh, that part. (laughs) Oh, no. Vanessa Bayer talks to Method Man and I actually don't remember what she says but she says something like I've dated black men before she's like I had a black boyfriend once and then he's like oh your parents must be proud she's and then she just whispers like I do it again it's like yeah uh... it's just why are these things fun like this is not an old movie it's five years old you know so like I don't know I'm kind of at a loss yeah, I mean, like I said, I think in today's political climate, like, that stuff probably wouldn't fly as well. But yeah, it does seem very unnecessary. <laughs> yes, agree. Um, I have some points of trivia. This is the first Apatow film to not be written by him, but only directed. Chris Rock was on set when LeBron James filmed his scenes. Chris Rock was the one who came up with a few of the lines that LeBron James says in the film. Makes sense. Tilda Swinton, who plays boss Diana, she was in charge of designing how her character looked and talked. Yeah, I guess Amy gave her free reign to like craft this character. As she should. And then my last point of trivia is the actor Barkad Abdi, who was in Captain Phillips, uh, he was supposed to play the LeBron James part. Wait, what? (laughs) He was attached to the film, but then was replaced by LeBron James. That makes no sense why I don't he would know be... <laughs> how that would have played out. I mean, 
Maybe that was just like very preliminary stages of production. Yeah, I guess. Because that really doesn't make sense. It's just there are a lot of like random little bits to this movie that are just like hilarious just because like, I mean, like all the like all the cameos and everything to me are just like insane. Like if you had actually done like a trivia quiz about people in this movie, like I think I would have gotten a lot of them wrong without rewatching it because I just forgot about how many cameos there were. Yeah, we didn't talk about Tim Meadows, who's in the movie. Yes. Leslie Jones is in the movie for a hot second. Yep. Uh, Bridget Everett. Yeah. And Mike Brabilia, who plays stepbrother Tom. I'm going through my list because I, you know, there's so many yeah. cameos. And then Tony Romo and Amari Studemeyer play themselves. Of course. Yeah. John Glazer's also in it. He's like, oh, the, yes. this, yeah. And then, yeah, I totally forgot about Randall Parking in this movie and Randall Park's great. Yeah. Oh, I think this is also the only Judd Apatow movie that didn't have his wife, Leslie Mann, in it. Because I think she's like in everything he's done, except for this movie. Yeah. I love Leslie Mann. Yeah, she's great, too. Do you have any last takes of the movie? Anything else you want to add before we wrap it up? Uh, no. I mean, I think it was it was a good rewatch. I'm glad I was able to rewatch it and sort of like be reminded of things. In terms of like rom-coms, I think it's one that I, I'm actually okay with watching more than once but not go out of my way to watch. <laughs> mm. One last take for me is I always appreciate a movie set in New York and that it's actually filmed in New York. Yeah. Yeah. I think New York is always like a nice romantic backdrop. Anything's possible. Yeah. Oh, sorry. I just realized I forgot about Nikki Glaser. Nikki Glaser was also in this movie and Dave Attell. I forgot about that. Yeah. I actually don't, I'm not familiar with Dave Attell, um, but I was watching the movie and Frank walked in the room. He's like, oh, it's Dave Attell. I was like, I don't know who that is. Um, well, yeah, I think that's it. Cool. Thanks so much for doing this with me, John. No, I'm happy to do it. Thank you to all tuning in to another episode of Romcom Weekly. You can check us out on Instagram at Romcom Weekly, and we'll talk with you next week. Bye. Bye.